Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. with us today and uh, I'm especially happy to see all of our six-year-old plus children with us today that's a real blessing so maybe if you are a child today if you consider yourself a child I'm talking to you my intention is not to scare you today okay I'm not trying to make anybody scared but we're going to talk about something that might make you want to feel scared. So as long as you know, if you feel scared, you should come talk to me afterwards and I'll try and make you feel not scared, okay? So today we have a very unusual topic. Andre, of course, is away, so it's me again uh, preaching the Word of God. And today is a topical sermon. And we're going to speak about evil spirits in Africa. And of course, as you know, and as I know, when I deliver this message, you're going to realize this guy could have said this, and he could have said that, and he could have said that. And I acknowledge that if, if we had to speak about evil spirits in Africa, it would take me about three months of Sundays to cover the topic well. So what I'm doing today is I'm just out of that whole world of information I'm trying, to, I'm trying to gather all of the things that I thought were most important. If I only had one opportunity to speak about this, I thought I would just try and put all of the most important things into one sermon. So if I left something out, I'll say, yes, I definitely did leave lots and lots and lots of things out. But I definitely have included some things today that are important. So I'm trusting that you will uh, give me some freedom to speak today and to address the topic in a very, very, very short and brief manner, okay? And of course, like I said to the kids, it's not my point, it's not my intention to make everybody feel nervous and scared about evil spirits today. In fact, quite the opposite. My intention is to encourage you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we sang the song a moment ago, you know, we are the people of God, I mean, what a blessed position to be, a child of God, a person who belongs to the Lord God Almighty. So as we speak about evil spirits, let's, let's keep that in mind, okay? So a couple of reasons why I chose this topic. And the first reason was because so many people asked me about this. You know, as a counselor here in the church, people are constantly asking me about how it works, you know, if I do this or if I do that, then how do the spirits relate to me in that situation? So people really struggle with how this world of evil spirits works. 
And the second thing is that because people struggle to understand how human beings relate to evil spirits, people live in a state of fear. You might not be completely terrified. You might be here in the church and not be completely terrified. But I can guarantee you that if you're a human being, there's always something in the back of your mind that you know that evil spirits exist. And there's always this, I wonder if this this event, this calamity in my life was caused by evil spirits. So that's, one of, that's the second reason, not only because people ask me about this, because, but also because you might be afraid. You might be afraid of the activity of evil spirits in your life. And then the third reason I want to do that is because I want to give you encouragement from the Word of God, and I want to show you how the, the concept of evil spirits in Africa relates to the concept of evil spirits in the Bible. And where you stand, so you can know exactly where you stand when it comes to your association with evil spirits in this world. Uh, uh, an academic by the name of uh, Tite Tinu. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but uh, you can correct me if you know how to say his name. Tite Tinu. He says, sound theology must maintain views of both the natural and supernatural without becoming absurd and ridiculous. So you'll notice that normally in my presentation I have um, pictures of all kinds of stuff. Today I decided not to put any pictures in this because, you know, what happens when you Google a picture of a demon? Is that what a demon looks like? I don't think so. Hey? You know, these like ugly looking things, you know. Actually, you'll often find people who are controlled by demons in pulpits with a, a suit and tie and they have smooth speech, and they convince you of things that are not true. So that's one of the reasons, because this guy, he's saying, we can speak about evil spirits without getting dramatic and having big music and smoke and flames, you know, and maybe even inviting a demon to come here and show off some of his power. We don't have to do that. We can actually speak about this in a logical and sober-minded way. And that's wonderful. We don't, we don't, we're not treading on ground here where we're inviting some sort of calamity, are we? We can just speak about this in a normal and civilized way, and I find that wonderful. So before we speak about evil spirits in Africa, let me first say, and my brother Safari was very helpful for, to me in this, he was saying to me, there's also spirits in the rest of the world, and, you know, the evil spirits do have an influence on society all over the world. So I thought maybe I could begin, instead of just saying we're here to flog the idea of evil spirits in Africa, the rest of the world also struggles with this. So, for example, in Europe, in the 16 and 1700s, most of you probably know there was a time that's called the Enlightenment, where people just suddenly began to use reason to try and reason everything they knew, instead of depending on uh, religious sources like the Bible, you know, and the concept that God exists and the fact that there may or may not have been miracles in the past. They tried to explain away all of the supernatural stuff that people always believed through the, through the aid of reason. And I like reason. I like logical reasoning because it really helps you to think well. But these guys threw out everything and they said, all right, if we can't prove this by reason, then it's not true. So much that goes into that. So in the Enlightenment, when man, European man, suddenly became very clever, enlightened, 
He threw out God and faith and Satan and angels and demons and miracles and all of the supernatural. So, of course, in Africa, that concept is absurd, isn't it? I mean, who in Africa would say, I don't believe that God exists? It's, a, you know, it's an absurdity for us. So, so, Satan and his demons, you know, evil spirits, have actually led the bulk of the Western world into believing that God doesn't exist unless I can reason God's existence. And that's bizarre, isn't it? You would rather be here believing that God exists because at least you've got somebody to appeal to when you're afraid of evil spirits. So, of course, once that whole enlightenment came about and people began to say, oh, we don't even believe God exists unless we can see Him or touch Him or taste Him or smell Him or feel Him, then, of course, Western theology began to say, oh, well, um, we believe that God exists, but they began, because of fear or the lack of emphasis on the miraculous and the existence of God and the existence of demons, Satan and demons and evil spirits, they began to be very methodical and sort of wooden, as Wayne Grudem says, wooden about their treatment of, of evil spirits. Like, oh, sort of in a systematic way, instead of acknowledging that these spirits have a presence and they do terrify people. So, of course, the Western world sucked the life out of it and made it more of a textbook issue than a real-life issue, which is a problem for us in Africa as well, isn't it? Evil spirits are not just a textbook issue. But then, of course, there's another shift, okay? okay? You look at the movies, for example. Now you go watch a movie, and pretty much at any time, you'll probably find a movie of some guy who's actually an angel in disguise, or he's a demon, or he's got demonic powers, and the world, the Western world in the movies, they found out that this actually makes money now. Did you make a movie about demons or some guy who's demon-possessed? I say that uh, non-technically. Some guy who's demon-possessed and he's got this massive power and he can cause things to happen in another city, you know, just by thinking and all of this weird, bizarre stuff where they have battles between angels and demons. I saw a movie like that recently, just so weird. Angels in love relationships with human beings, uh, superhuman heroes, and extraterrestrial beings like aliens, this constant infatuation. I mean, our world, the Western world, has actually set up these massive telescopes that are beaming out into space 24-7 with people being hired to monitor these things so that we can pick up communications from other beings in the universe. I mean, the Western world has gone crazy with us. I mean, how happy is Satan when everybody has shifted their focus from truth and now we've got people sitting behind computers waiting for an alien to say something to us from space? I mean, that's bizarre. You've got to say that's bizarre. I mean, in Africa, do we believe that there's little green men on the moon? No, obviously not. I mean, it's absurd to us. Why even think about that? It's so ridiculous. In fact... One of these issues, one of these ideas that is going around in the movies that is that uh, demons can marry people. I read in the news this week from Zambia, you know, some guy did a, a thesis on demons marrying human women and having children with them. And you're like, honestly, man, where do you get this from? You know, the ideas that, that are entertaining us about evil spirits, like this is Dr. Tite Tino. He says that it, must, it mustn't be absurd 
We must think about these things in a logical, systematic way. We must look at what the Word of God says. We must look at people's experience. And we must make sense of this from the Word of God. In fact, there's another way that that um, evil spirits are influencing the Western world. And the Western world doesn't even see it happening because they're like, oh, whatever, Satan, demons, we don't even know if they exist. But in the meantime, you can see the influence of the evil spirit world driving the whole Western society. John MacArthur says the United States has rapidly accelerated toward these conditions over the last decades, as witnessed by increases in false religion and idolatry, sexual immorality and perversions, drug use, occultic activity, interest in Satanism, godlessness, shamelessness over sin, lawlessness, devaluation of human life, and societal attempts to suppress biblical truth. The whole, the whole Western world has been swallowed up by the agenda of Satan and demons, and they don't even, they think they're okay. We think our worldview is okay. And that's very sad that the world, the, the West can point a finger at Africa and say, look at you, you're so primitive, you still believe in evil spirits. You know, we are sophisticated. We can just throw our children away and that's fine without realizing how they've been influenced by the evil spirit world. So that's the West. I mean, we just touched on the West. We could dig way deeper than that. and We could see the influence, Satan's agenda being pushed in the, in the Western world. But what about Africa? What about evil spirits in Africa? How do they, uh, what are some common beliefs that we have about evil spirits in Africa? And of course, you'd probably not be able to speak to a single African who would say he doesn't believe in the existence of the supreme being or God and evil spirits. I've never encountered a person who doesn't, in Africa, who doesn't believe in the existence of evil spirits. In fact, it's so... They, every person I've spoken to believes so much that even if we talk about evil spirits, there's a sort of a, a taboo. We can't talk about this because something bad's going to happen to me if I talk about it. And if, if you struggle with that, honestly, I'm not trying to make fun of that. I'm saying if you struggle with that, I'm here to bring you biblical hope. So obviously in Africa, we believe in the concrete existence. And of course, when I say concrete, I don't mean evil spirits are made out of concrete. I'm just saying I believe as a fact that evil spirits exist. And the Bible teaches that evil spirits exist, and we call them demons. Demons, evil spirits, we're speaking about the same thing. But we should not assume, and this is one of the big errors that we encounter when we're studying this topic, we should not assume that what the African continent believes in all of its different forms about evil spirits is the same as what the Bible teaches about evil spirits. So automatically we're going to say, okay, there's evil spirits. That means every time I read about a demon or an evil spirit in the Bible, I'm going to import the African traditional understanding of demons and evil spirits into the Bible. And I'm going to read everything into it like that. So we must come to the Bible and we must see what the Bible is actually saying about them and we must adjust our traditional views according to what the Bible says because that's final written truth. It's what God is saying. So one of the first things is, and again I'm saying, I'm not trying to scare anybody, I'm not trying to create a sensation. I'm saying that evil spirits, they do cohabit. 
the human world. They do live among us. There is the presence, the Bible definitely teaches the presence of evil spirits. And who are these evil spirits? Who are the only evil spirits that we found written in God's record of what has happened? Those evil spirits are the fallen angels, the angels who fell with Satan. And those evil spirits are, uh, some of them, it's a bit uh, difficult for us to understand how they can be bound and active at the same time. But if you look at Satan, you discover that Satan was cast out of heaven. But at the same time, throughout Scripture, he still has a certain amount of access to the throne of God. We look, for example, at the book of Job, and we see him, God, summoning Satan into his presence, even though Satan has been cast out of his presence. And then in the book of Revelation, you see Satan again thrown out of heaven. So he still does, even though he's, he no longer is at home there, he still has certain access to the throne of God. So in the same way, demons, you can see in different places in the Bible, God summoning evil spirits and saying, you know, what will you do, for example, to go and deceive Ahab into going to battle and going to his death? And the evil spirits come to God and they suggest different things. So in some ways, the spirits are chained and they're in prison. And in other ways, they still have access to God and to this world. But they're condemned already. So Satan was powerful. He was a very powerful angel. And he was a very beautiful angel. And many say he was the, the angel of music. And I'm, I wish I knew where that came from. I wish I knew where that idea came from. But I've never found that in the Bible, that Satan was the, the angel of music and therefore music is evil. Some guys like that agenda in the church when they say, if you play a guitar, then you're evil. So, because Satan was the angel of, I don't know, that's a weird reasoning. I think we can throw that out quite easily, that Satan was the angel of music. But he was definitely very powerful and very beautiful. And therefore... When we see the devil, we're not expecting to see a big, horrible monster. We're expecting to see a beautiful creature, something that God made that is very breathtaking, that you would look at Satan and you would be surprised by Satan. And that's why his servants, you know, he's an angel of light. That's why his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness in the pulpit. They're discipling people in the wrong directions. They're preaching from the pulpit uh, things from Scripture that are not what God is teaching, what not, not, not what God is saying from the Scriptures. It's interesting, if you look at the two texts, uh, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we're not going to go there because they're long texts. It's interesting that when you look at those two texts, those two texts are actually written about earthly kings. And those two earthly kings, you know, Babylon and Tyre and Sidon, they were nations that, that um, raised themselves up and they became very proud, and God speaks about their downfall. But it's interesting that when you look at those prophecies about those two uh, nations, those two kings, that there seems to be more in those texts than can be attributed to those kings. So in those two texts, it seems that the scriptures are intending to speak about the fall of Satan. So if you can go and read those, if you're interested to read them, you read Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, or you read Ezekiel 28, verses 12 to 15. It's interesting, the same group of verses. Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, or Ezekiel 28, 12 to 15. You can read those two sections, and you say whether those two texts can be applied to any human king. And you'll realize there's something more in this than meets the eye. It actually seems to be speaking about the fall of Satan. So, so this first thing we've been looking at, 
is that yes, the Bible acknowledges the existence of evil spirits. Secondly, the Bible acknowledges that evil spirits do live among, they cohabit this world with human beings as we find in African traditional religion. But the difference here is that we find in Scripture who these beings are. These are fallen angels. They're powerful, beautiful fallen angels who fell with Satan when he rebelled against God. And sadly, the movies and African traditional religion, you can hear any story and you'll find out that the stories are laced with, with horrible, horrible beings with terrible, terrible power that you just cannot even conceive of. And it's, in, it's imaginative and it's sensational beyond what Scripture teaches. If you, this is the challenge, okay? If you read right through the Bible from cover to cover, I'm sure... I'm sure all of you have done that. <laughs> uh, I say that because if you haven't done that, you don't have to stick up your hand. Um, if you've read the Bible from cover to cover, you will not find from beginning to end any story that's like this, like the movies or there's like sensational idea of evil spirits. You'll never find demons like throwing people against the walls and killing them. You know, you'll never find them like elevating people above the ground or making them hover. You'll never find a demon turning a person into a crocodile or a hippo and going into the river. You'll never find that sensational type of talk about demons or evil spirits in the Bible. You can see that their, their evil powers are restricted by God's power, by God's character, and by God's purposes. And that's the first thing I want to tell you about this. This is a wonderful encouragement for you as a child of God, that even if you come face to face with an evil spirit, you know that that evil spirit doesn't have full reign. He doesn't have the access to the full power that he has as a fallen angel. But his, his um, activities in this world are restricted by the power of God by the character of God, and by the purposes of God. So this evil spirit cannot do a single thing to me as a believer. He might make me feel afraid, but he cannot do anything outside of God's power, God's character, or God's purpose. And that's wonderful. So I can know that there are even evil spirits here in this room with us today, but I trust God. I trust God himself, which gives me absolute comfort. And I've said from this pulpit a number of times, Martin Luther sitting in his office um, translating the Bible into German from Latin for the, for the German people. And the story goes that this evil spirit comes to him while he's translating the Bible. And Martin Luther, of course, is a no-nonsense kind of guy. So he stops writing, stops translating, and he says, I don't know who you are. Or where you come from, but I have everything I need right here. And he points at the Bible that he's busy translating and then he carries on writing. And he says, the evil spirit leaves him. And that's, that's the confidence of the child of God. That we are under the power of God. The character of God. The purposes of God. And nothing can happen outside of those boundaries, no matter how powerful Satan or a demon can be. What he can do is always bound by God. Okay, so that's the first thing. Yes, the Bible acknowledges they exist. In the West, you might find people laughing it off, but here in Africa, we don't laugh that off, do we? We know they exist. Then the next thing that we discover that the Bible teaches 
that is, you know, in, in relationship to what African traditional religion believes. In, in African traditional religion, it is taught or believed that these spirits exist and these spirits can be both good and evil. And it's one spirit. One spirit can be good and evil. I had a discussion with a guy, what, where am I, down there, you know, a little further down the road here, near the Hatfield Hostels. And I was sitting on the pavement and chatting with him the one day, and I was asking him um, about demons. And he said to me, Yo, I don't know. For all I know, you could be a demon. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I never thought that I could be a demon. I said to him, how, you know, how can I be doing something good for you, you know, sharing the gospel with you, but you think I'm a demon? So he says, no, you can change. Now, one day you'll be doing a good thing, but another day you can come and you can, you know, take my feet out from under me. And I was like, imagine how fearful it must be to live not knowing whether another person that you're speaking to is a demon, and that demon can do good for you and he can do evil for you depending on how he feels. So the Bible doesn't have a category for such a being. A being, human beings created in the image of God. We have fallen, we are evil, we can do good things, but there's no spiritual being in God's economy that can be both good and evil, depending on their whim. And that's, that's interesting, isn't it? So if there's a spirit being about there, outside of there, he's either a demon or he's an angel. An angel who has not fallen can't do any evil. A demon who has been fallen, he can't do any good. And that brings us peace, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing? You could be uh, in a room and you can know that an evil spirit will be an evil spirit. He can't suddenly swap. He can't take you into his confidence and then suddenly become evil and terrify you. So in African traditional religion, there's a belief that they can, you know, those who are evil will come to haunt you. Those who are good will come to bless you. And one who is haunting you can come and bless you. And one who blesses you can come and haunt you. And that's terrifying. They might come out at special times of the day. You know, sleep at some times of the day and come out at different times. So maybe you'll find somebody avoiding uh, going in particular places at a particular time of the day. Because this particular demon comes out at this time of the day and you don't want to run into that demon on the corner of that and that street. You might find a belief that these, um, these demons can intervene in the physical order. They can incarnate or they can take on human flesh. As I was saying, this guy down the road here was saying, I could even be a demon. He doesn't know because demons can appear as human beings. They might be able to marry of course, there's a mythical basis to that. A lot of people in Africa believe that they might actually be married to a demon. And that would be fearful. Imagine walking around thinking that you married, somehow you're married to a demon. So the Bible does not feature spirit beings, as I was saying, who can choose to be both good and evil. And one of the things, one of the realities about a traditional view is that there's no such thing as angels. I mean, you know, you've, in African traditional religion, you don't even talk about angels. You just talk about a spirit that can be good or evil, but there's no such thing as angels. And isn't that 
a problem for you if you're a believer. If you don't believe what Hebrews 1 teaches, where the writer says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit eternal life? And the answer is yes. So while we might have evil spirits, and we likely do have evil spirits in this room, we also have this room full of angels, angelic beings, who are serving each one of us as children of God while we're sitting here. We don't see what these angels are doing for us on a daily basis. There's a scene in Revelation, for example, where Christ takes his whole church up into heaven, and you see Satan and all of his angels fighting against all of the angelic hosts. And it's as if, as these believers are rising from their graves to go into glory, Satan is like, oh no, oh no, oh no, this is the last chance I have to attack God, because once these dead bodies are out of the grave, and they've been reunited with their spirits, and they're in eternal glory, we can't touch them anymore. And it's almost like Satan is standing on the graves trying to hold the bodies down so they can't ascend into glory. This big war erupts and saints are received into glory outside of the reach of evil spirits. How, how are we protected in that moment? Even in that moment, the angels are fighting. There's a war where, where God's angels are protecting his people from evil spirits. Do you think it's a difficult war for God and his angels to protect us from evil spirits? No, there's a war. But God doesn't even break a sweat. It's not hard for God to protect us. It's an absolute certainty that God will protect you as a child of God. Let's have a look at what the Bible says inside of this context you know, about the, the good and evil, the spirits who can be good and evil, haunt you or bless you, um, who can, and I don't believe that demons can incarnate, they cannot take on human form. They might be able to have control over particular human beings, but they cannot take on human form. Got, uh, like I'm saying, I'm leaving so many open threads here today. There's so much we could talk about, but I'm going to just leave that there. Um, we've got to ask, if there are evil spirits here, what is their purpose? Why are they here? Why would they be here and not, let's say, at the Shabin down the road? Why would you not expect to find a demon there, but you would expect to find one here? Because of their target. What do demons want to smash the most? What do they want to get rid of? Their main target, their main purpose is to use lies, deception, murder, and every destructive means to get people to turn away from God and to destroy themselves. Isn't that a tragedy? The truth of God's word comes to you by the grace of God and God transforms you. And he puts you outside of the reach of Satan and his demons. And Satan does not want that. He wants you to be destroyed. He wants to mess up your life. He wants to ruin you forever. If he can do that, he doesn't need to be at the Shabin. Because nobody's hearing the truth there. No one's preaching. No one's opening the word of God. There's no danger that somebody there is going to stop on their path to destruction. But here... While we're preaching the word of God, there's war going on. He wants to stop you from hearing the truth. He wants to stop you from being saved. He wants to stop you from being a Christ-like example in this world. He wants to stop you from being a person in whom Jesus looks beautiful in this world. He wants to stop you from studying the word of God. He wants to stop you from praying. He wants you to lose hope that you can ever be saved. 
He wants your life to be diverted to things that don't really matter, rather than a life that is focused on God and His agenda. That's what He's trying to do. That's why you will find evil spirits here. That's why you will find God's angels here to protect you. And that's wonderful, isn't it? Satan and his demons can harass any person externally, and they can exert an influence on the created order. They can indwell an unbeliever in extreme cases. And they can, but like angels, they cannot marry human beings. An angel cannot marry a human being, okay? So you might say, what about Genesis 6? You know, sons of God marrying the daughters of men. And this week, of course, while I was preparing the sermon, I had to revisit that again because I've spent a lot of time in that argument And I had to look at the main arguments again and say, is it possible that an angel was producing children with human women in Genesis chapter 6? You all know the text I'm talking about, eh? And again and again and again, I've got to say to myself, I cannot see how this can be true. One text that we can quote, of course, is when the Lord Jesus Christ is arguing with the Pharisees about marriage. And he says... That in the, in the age to come, in the coming age, we as believers are going to be like the angels who neither marry nor are given in marriage. So in Genesis 6, for one example, you've got, if you have the theory that angels are marrying human women and having children with them, you, one problem, Jesus says angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. It's not possible for an angel to get married. Second reason I think that we might have missed is that angels don't have physical bodies. They're spirit beings. How does a a being without any substance produce a child with a physical woman? Anyway, there's three main arguments. And I, I take a view on that, but I'm not going to explain it. That's not my point here today. But I don't believe that an angel, I don't believe the Bible gives us reason to believe that any demon or any angel can marry a human being. Okay. One thing that we can find encouraging is that Satan and all of his angels, all of his demons, share a common destiny, don't they? That's what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What a mercy that God is going to separate his people from the evil influence of these evil spirits forever and ever and ever. We'll be free. Imagine in glory never ever having somebody steal something from you again. Every time I'm walking around with, you know, bunches of keys. Everywhere you go, it's just like, ah, where's my keys, where's my keys, where's my keys? And every time, well, not every time, but often I say, in the kingdom, I'm not going to need these. (laughs) Don't need keys in the kingdom. Because there are no evil spirits, there's, there's no influence, there's no evil influence pressing people to break into your home. That you have to lock everything up. Have How many passwords do we have? Why? Because there's the influence of evil in this world. Okay, so let's have a look at the next issue that the Bible speaks about where evil spirits relate to what the Bible has to say about evil spirits, evil spirits in Africa. Uh, 
evil spirits, they in African traditional religion, are closely related to spiritual leaders and they communicate their desires to those spiritual leaders. Therefore, people are afraid of spiritual leaders. Like the Sangoma, for example. You, you have a problem, you go to the Sangoma. Why? Because you believe he has an access to the spirit world that you don't have. And the fearful thing is that if those spirits that the Sangoma is in, in touch with can be either good or evil, they tell him on this day, you know, this is the cause of this person's problem, therefore you need to do the following things, you know, perform the following ritual, That's, that same spirit might not be friendly the next day. He might become evil. He might decide he's not going to accept that. He's changed his mind. So as you know, as you very well know, these spiritual leaders are feared because you can never write down a set of rules for them. You never know. They, you, you can't predict what they might say. And those spiritual leaders can't predict what they might hear from these evil spirits. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know who they're going to blame for the trouble in your life. So I want to point out what the scriptures say. Satan's powerful character and his influence is seen throughout the scripture, throughout the Bible, you see Satan's influence all the way from the Garden of Eden, and you see his influence throughout the, hist the, the history of this world on society, politics, and relationships. He does influence those things. If a relationship in the church goes bad, you know that one of the things you can say is this is possibly the work of Satan or his demons. Why? Because that's one of his primary functions in the church today, is to destroy relationships between Christians. It's like my old friend said before from Grace Fellowship, Collins. He said, the church is like a horse pulling a cart. And once you unhitch the horse from the cart, the horses are free to kick each other. But once the Horses are attached to the cart. They can't kick each other anymore. Then they have to keep pulling. And that's what the church is like. As soon as we stop and we unhitch and we start kicking each other, we know that Satan is outwitting us in this church. Destroyed relationships, you know, Satan is so chuffed about that. I mean, you do that yourself. You don't need his help. But, but Satan loves it when he sees that. And he can give you a little bit of push in the right direction and listen to a little more gossip. You know, develop an attitude against somebody else in the church. That's terribly sad, hey? One day somebody attacked me in an email. He was very aggressive to me. And my dad, you know, he noticed that I wasn't looking that happy at the time because there was a close friend who was writing some very harsh emails. He was threatening to come and beat me up. And I was like, yo, this is weird, man. Why would somebody want to come beat me up? And it was... I suddenly realized this was just before a big event where I was going to be teaching. And my dad came to me, you know, like dads do, put his arm around my shoulder and he said, my boy, there's probably more going on here than you can see. <laughs> and he was referring to satanic attack, that God is trying to smash a relationship and he's trying to um, refocus my mind on things that were not the big event that I had planned for that weekend. I was going to go and teach the truth. And of course Satan is going to try and derail me and make me try and feel unhappy about this. So Satan is the cause of evil on earth and that is one of his big things, smashing relationships, uh, messing up society 
uh, driving a political agenda in the world that is destructive. It destroys people. And of course, Satan is the cause of evil on the earth, and he is the reason why redemption became necessary. If it wasn't for the reality of these evil forces and Satan, we would have not needed a savior like Jesus to come into this world. Isn't that true? But because of him, we need a savior. He opposes God and he tries to sabotage God and his creation in every way possible. And isn't it wonderful, like I was saying just now, that even if you see a volcano or an earthquake or a hurricane or a tornado or a tsunami or some massive thing happening in this world, you can say, all right, I wonder if this is the result of evil forces, like in Job, for example. This massive wind coming in, blasting Job's children's house so it falls down and kills his, his people. You can say, I wonder if this is demonic activity. And let's say there was a way that you could tell that this was a demon. Let's say you could actually even see this horrible, monstrous beast coming along and stirring up a tsunami or something. You know, you could see him actually causing a natural phenomenon. What is the Christian's response? We trust in the power and the character and the purposes of God. If God intends this natural disaster to come about, like the tsunami in Sumatra that time, you remember, if God intends for that to happen, that will happen, but it is all governed, all of the parameters are governed by the power and the character and the purposes of God. There's no way that that demon can inflict any more trouble than God permits him to have. So I can look at that demon, even if I can see him, let's say in the worst possible scenario, if I can see him, I can look straight beyond him to God and I can say, God, thank you that I'm in your hands. I'm not in the hands of an evil spirit. I don't have to fear an evil spirit because his parameters are controlled by God. His use of power and the functions that he performs are controlled by God, by the character of God. And I can say, if God is a God of love, God still loves me, even though I can see this, this demon coming, if that were possible. Let's look at another area, and this is the huge area, of course, that we, we often talk about, is encounter stories. What about people who encounter demons or evil spirits? So, there's this fear, of course, because evil spirits are spirit beings. That evil spirits are not limited to the kinds of limitations we have. We can only be in one place at a time. You know, we can have to walk through the doorway and, you know, we have to eat food to survive. That evil spirits don't have physical limitations. They go through walls. They live in water and trees and rocks and mountains. And they fly through the air or they possess people. They can actually take control of a person and possess that person. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so scary. Like this guy told me down here, he doesn't know. Maybe I'm a demon talking to him. I would live in fear if I didn't know whether any person I'm speaking to is or isn't a demon. I mean, imagine trying to find somebody to marry. And two weeks later, you find out that person's a demon. I mean, imagine being married to a demon for the rest of your life. I'm just, it's a hypothesis. I mean, it's not possible. But if that's what you believed, imagine, imagine trying to find a wife or a husband when you believe that that person could possibly be, be a demon. That's frightening. 
It's a frightening reality. So, I just want to say this quite loud and clear, that the Bible does not teach, in fact, the Bible teaches that a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is impossible for that person to have a demon living inside of him, indwelling him. Maybe at this point, I can point out that you know, in the English translations of the Bible, there's this unfortunate translation that has come about over the years where we use the word possession, you know, demon possessed. And you need to know, again, I say it's an unfortunate translation because the concept of demon possession, as in a demon actually owning a human being, is foreign to the Bible. The, the Greek for that, it doesn't mean that a demon can actually own a person. So, so even using the word possession, we should understand what we're talking about. We're talking about a demon exerting an influence on a human being to such a degree that that, in, that evil spirit is controlling the behavior of that person. But it doesn't mean that that demon can never be removed from that person. So possession, you know, like if someone's owned by a demon, that's not a biblical concept. In the original, you, you never find that. It doesn't exist in the Bible. So unfortunately, our English translations use the word possession, which is not technically correct. I don't know why we use that word. So it's not possible for a true believer even to be so controlled by a demon that he looks as if he's possessed, that he's, you know, his behavior is not his own anymore. The Bible teaches against that, and I wish I could teach you a number of sermons just on that one point, and I can't even go there today. So that's why John MacArthur says you cannot cast a demon out of a believer. Why not? Because he cannot have a demon. It's not because a demon can go into a believer and it's so hard to get out that you can't cast them out. A believer, a true believer cannot be indwelt by a demon. Therefore, you can't cast the demon out. How, much, how many times have, have you, my friends in this church, been to other churches where you come to them and you have a problem and they say to you, no, we need to cast this demon out of you, then the problem will go. It cannot happen. It cannot happen that a true believer can have a, a demon living inside of them. A demon can live in an unbeliever and when an, a demon, biblically speaking, be, uh, takes up residence in an unbeliever, you can see what it looks like. It has dramatic effects. So in the Bible, when a, when a demon takes up residence in an unbeliever, you can see things like seizures and blindness and deafness and inability to speak. And even the Bible shows that those are very rare cases. Of course, in Jesus' time and in the time of the apostles, there was huge demonic activity because they, why? Jesus is speaking, God is speaking, and remember what the demons and Satan's target is, is the truth. Here comes the Messiah. They're doing everything in their power to stop people from seeing this is God incarnate, God in human flesh. The demons acknowledged who he was and they hated it, that God himself was walking there on his feet in this world and preaching day after day and people were believing him in him and the, the evil spirits couldn't handle that. So they started disrupting. They tried to disrupt. And even while they were busy trying to disrupt what Jesus was doing, he was casting them out. Like, you see him throwing these demons out of the pigs. I mean, out of the, the demon-possessed man and into the pigs. And the pigs rush off a cliff and destroy themselves. That's the work of, of demons. 
self-destruction. That's what it looks like. So if you want to know if a person is demon-possessed, you've got to say, does this person look like those people in the Bible, and I was possessed, you know, controlled by a demon? Does he look like a person in the Bible who was controlled or indwelt by a demon? If he's not acting in a bizarre way or preaching truth from the pulpit that is obviously wrong, you've got to say, this is probably just a sinful person. He's got enough sin in him to do it all by himself. So what does that mean? Does that mean every time I see somebody having a seizure that that person is being controlled by a demon? Of course not. Of course not. In fact, if you, if you look at the medical causes of seizures, you'll find there's a whole list of them. So many things can cause um, seizures just, just on a medical basis. And one thing that I always caution people about, so somebody will come to me in a state of fear, they'll say, yo, I saw this person, you know, just shaking, you know, like seizing, having a seizure on the floor, and that's definitely demon. I could see it in that person's eyes because their eyes rolled back and there was just white. It's, I could see the devil in them. And I say, is, there, is it possible that that could be caused by something else? And one thing it can be caused by, you will acknowledge this, you know, if you know how the African scene works, you'll know that if somebody goes to visit the Sangoma for something, often they will give them some unidentified substance and they will say, before you write your exam, you put this, you sprinkle this yellow powder inside your sandwich, you know, that you're eating for lunch and then you eat that and you'll pass your exam. They give them some kind of muti, they'll give them instructions on how to use this. And you don't know what that is. You don't know how powerful that substance is. You don't know what, they, what they're giving you to eat or drink or put in your eye or drop in your mouth or rub, on, rub onto your skin. You don't know what that is. It has, it's never been analyzed. You, some of these herbs and substances these guys use are powerful. And anything like that could easily bring on seizures in a person. I've seen that. I know. I used to do ambulance work and I saw that happening. So don't assume... That all seizures or all blindness or all deafness or all inability to speak are caused by demons. It's possible that there's something else going on here. Maybe this person's a diabetic and they've fallen into a diabetic coma. Maybe this person has some other kind of medical condition like a tumor, epilepsy. Maybe the person is secretly taking drugs, which is often the case in seizures. What about John 9, where the Lord Jesus, his disciples, said to him, you know, who, who sinned that this man was born blind? And he said, neither. Nobody sinned. There's no demons involved here. This man was born blind specifically so that Jesus could come to that guy on that day and give him his sight and then give him spiritual sight so that God will be glorified in that miracle. doesn't even mention demons. It's just a simple fact that he was born blind. The demons had no reason to make that born man born blind if they could. And even if they did, they would have been ashamed when Jesus came along and just overpowered them just like that. They had every reason not to be involved in that guy becoming blind. So demons, I mean, they cause extraordinary you know, phenomena like that, seizures and blindness, but not every seizure and blindness is, is demonic, is it? But one thing that you need to know, and this is, is wonderfully satisfying, and that is that a demon cannot read your mind, and a demon cannot tell the future. He's not God. 
Only God knows the future. A demon's not God. He can't look into, he can't know. A demon actually has to read the Bible if he wants to. He has to look at the text. He needs to sit in a church like this and listen to preaching. He has to learn about what's going to happen in the future on the same basis that we learn about what's going to happen in the future. He doesn't know the future. He can't read your mind. So some people will argue, well, okay, I went to this spiritual leader, and this spiritual leader knew all about what I'm planning to do tomorrow. How did he know? How did he know that? Well, Grudem gives the example that, of course, just like you and I can listen to conversations and then go and share that information with somebody else, so demons, evil spirits, have the ability to observe and use the information they gather in their mischief. It's weird sometimes how knowledge, information gets around, isn't it? But if somebody, let's say a demon, is sharing information about me, where do I stand? Do I stand before the demon and say, Oh, demon, please don't share any more information about me. I don't want anybody to know about this or that. No, you stand before God. You stand before God with His power, His character, and His purposes. Because that demon is limited by those attributes of God. Isn't that wonderful? I can be safe. Even if I know that there's demons going around sharing information about what I plan to do tomorrow with somebody else and I didn't want anyone to know. Who cares if I'm under the power and the character and the purposes of God? I'm safe before God Almighty. Alright, so then... The next issue about encounters is in the traditional religions we believe in extraordinary powers. These spirit beings have massive power from which one needs to be protected or delivered, uh, or, uh, protected or allied. I have, to, I have to harness this big power, otherwise I'm not going to meet with success. If I don't harness this power, I'm in trouble. So Jesus and the apostles... Of course they dealt with demons in their experience, didn't they? Again and again and again they had to deal with demons. They had to cast demons out of people, demons who were living in people. Again and again they had to do something to, to deliver people. But notice that from the time of the Gospels and the Acts, there's no teaching, apart from Ephesians 6 and James 4, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 8, there's no teaching on how believers must deal with demonic forces. There's no word, like Job, for example. When you read Job, Job never even knows that Satan is involved in his troubles. He never even knows that it's a showdown between God and Satan, and God is just proving that the work that he's done in Job's life is absolutely certain. Isn't it such a relief to you and I as believers that even the New Testament writers, they didn't even think it was necessary to say, all right, live in Hope Church. Listen, if there's a demon, if there's an evil spirit in your church, you better be careful because there's certain steps you need to take in order to make sure that that demon has no influence over you. Don't you think it's encouraging that none of the New Testament writers thought it was necessary to bring out a whole demonology and rituals and uh, chants that we can chant together to get rid of demons. No. 
In fact, in the writers, of, in the minds of the writers of the New Testament, God is so glorious, the sufficiency of Christ is so wonderful, that they didn't even think it necessary to come and give us all these little instructions and teachings on demons' names and what demons do. And that's almost a, you know, a side issue. That gives us confidence in what they do teach. In other words, what they did teach, they thought was important, and we have enough in that. Two texts, of course, are important, apart from 1 Peter 5, 8, you know, with the, the devil being a roaring lion, prowling, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. But James 4, verse 7 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Boom, just like that. Here's all of the details, okay? Here's the whole system of thought, how we deal. If Satan himself comes in here, and Satan himself wants to have dealings with you as a believer, what do you do in James's mind? Resist him. No. Like Martin Luther. Yeah, I don't know who you are or where you came from, but I got everything. I don't actually need anything from you, so scram. And he's gone. Resist him, and he will flee from you. It's a fact. Puts me straight before God. Thank you, Lord, that I can have a direct relationship with the Lord God Almighty. Satan himself can come in here, and a believer can resist Satan, and Satan will flee. Obviously, the New Testament writers didn't think it was necessary to write more than that, did they? But they, they did write a little bit more. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. Remember the whole passage of full mention on spiritual warfare, where he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Where does he start? <laughs> be strong in the Lord. <laughs> exactly what we've been saying. We've got God who's, who's powerful, God who has a, a dependable character, and God who has a specific purpose, and nothing will ever happen outside of those parameters. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. We look straight at God. Even if there's a demon coming straight for me, if it was possible for me to see that, my recourse is God himself because he's a powerful God. And then he goes on from verse 11 talking about the full armor of God. And you'll notice that as you go through the full armor of God again and again and again and again, all of these different parts of the full armor of God relate to the basic faithful Christian life. Just living the basics of the Christian life. Putting on the full armor of God. Because you're, uh, you're taking your, your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It says that big. But then he says in verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may take your stand. Uh, you may, you may take, be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. What is this? It's a belt of truth. Understanding what is true and what is false. If these great principalities... These great demonic forces come to attack me directly. What do I do? I come back to what is true. I don't get wound up in a mystical chain of thought that this might be the one exception where I'm going to go down while God's not watching. I remind myself of what is true. 
belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. Righteousness either being completely satisfied in the fact that you stand righteous before God on the basis of what Jesus did, or even simply the daily habits of doing the next right thing, because you know that that honors God. And verse 15, with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Isn't it sad that when you feel that you're under attack by evil spirits, one of the things that goes is your confidence in Christian ministry. And Paul is saying, just keep going. Just keep serving. Just keep loving. Then, yeah, there might be an evil spirit following you around. Just keep doing the next right thing. Be ready to love each other. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I mean, look at the picture. He's shooting these flaming arrows, these darts or, you know, arrows from a bow. And they're coming at you and you just whoop, stop the arrow and keep going. Keep believing what's true. Paul is presenting this as a powerful enemy. But he's showing that the most ordinary of things neutralizes the effect of this enemy on a true believer. The simple Christian life. The simple giving of oneself to living with a mindset that I know this is true and I'm not going to be pushed of what I believe is true. I'm just going to keep going. All of these things floating around me, I'm just going to keep going. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. I'm saved. And the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and if you remember Pilgrim's Progress, his picture of Apollyon, the big dragon coming to him. What was it that ultimately defeated Apollyon in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? It was this short little knife. Christian comes with a short little knife and he's... His analogy there is the Word of God. It's a specific verse of Scripture like, for example, here, James 4 verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Knife in the dragon's belly and he's gone. The Word of God, the truth of the Bible, the economy of truth in the Bible. And then he says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. It sounds, it sounds so ordinary and non-sensational, but that's the real thing. The faithful, day-to-day Christian life, trusting in God, rather than being afraid of, of these lesser spirits that might harass me, I keep looking back at God and I find great joy in that. So do I need to be protected from those powers? Of course I do. But as a child of God, I have everything I need. Satan and his demons target is always God. It's always truth. It's always Christians and especially relationships. Importantly, let me point out that even while relationships are going bad, we can't even blame those all on Satan because there's enough sin in us, as I've said here before, is enough sin in us to make the devil out of each one of us. We can make enough trouble on our own. We don't even need the devil or Satan or evil spirits to mess up our relationships. And then the final point here is in African traditional religion, you'll find that evil spirits are messengers from the supreme being and they control certain spheres or functions. So the supreme being's purposes can be derailed 
when spirit beings are swayed by ritual sacrifices. And that's, that's a thing that often comes across my table. That in a traditional thinking, that the, the God character, the supreme being, has a good plan for your life. He has blessings in store for you. But then an, a lesser spirit being comes along and he's closer to you. So he has a way of sort of bumping you off track. The track that the supreme being has for you and therefore your life goes wrong and you need to find a more powerful spirit in order to, to push you back on track. I mean, traditional thought has, has this as a, as a key issue. Is it possible for a spirit being to bump me off the track that God has for me as a true believer? Is it possible? Is there such a thing as this secret will? I know Deuteronomy 29, 29 speaks about the secret things belonging to the Lord our God. But that's not, that's not what we're talking about. Is there the secret path that God wants me to follow? And if I do the wrong thing, it's like, oh no, there goes Alan. His whole life's a mess now. You know, he went off the track. Nobody told him what the path was. He had to work it out, but he got it wrong. It's no, that's not the God we serve. God puts out the path of our life straightforwardly in the text of Scripture. And we walk in it like Ephesians 6 that we just read. We walk in that path day after day, faithfully serving one another in love. There's no way that an evil spirit can come along and rob me of the good that God intends for me. That's not a biblical concept. In fact, let me just point out one thing that MacArthur lists in his systematic theology. He says, yes, demons have huge power. But they also have significant limitations. What are their limitations? Of course, they're governed, you know, they, they fit inside of the parameters of God's power, character, and purpose. They can't do anything that God doesn't allow them to do. Job is a good example there. But God's purpose always wins, even though these spirits perform evil actions. Isn't that amazing? That even if a demon or an evil spirit does something that is evil in this world, God works that evil to the good of his people and to his own glory. You're like, wow, they really, these evil spirits really think they're derailing God's plans, but God actually causes those things to work inside of his purposes. I think that's wonderful. I think it's absolutely amazing that God does that. Think of Isaiah 45, 7, where he says, God says, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Lamentations 3, 37 to 38. Um, who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? I know a lot of Christians don't like to say that. But God himself says, calamities and good things come from the same God. Yes, he might use evil agents to bring about those calamities, but they all work according to his purpose. Judges 9, 23 to 24, God sent, just notice these words, God sent an evil spirit. You say, ah, oh, how does this work? God sent an evil spirit. God is not going to do the evil. The evil spirit is going to do the evil. God is not responsible for the evil. The evil spirit is responsible. Another thing that we could talk about the whole day. But God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem, who acted treacherously against Abimelech. 
Here's verse 24. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem who had helped him murder his brothers. God had a purpose. He was judging a person who did something evil. He sends an evil spirit to accomplish that task. That whole thing was, was limited by the parameters God had set for it, wasn't it? Uh, the evil spirits were terrified of Christ and the gospel. They hate it when the truth is preached. It's their greatest enemy, terror. They obeyed Christ. Remember, he just speaks and they, there's no argument. They just do what he says. They obeyed the twelve, remember, when they went out. They obeyed the 72 disciples in Luke 10, 17 to 20. They cannot separate believers from Christ or from the love of God. Impossible. They can be restrained by the Holy Spirit. What a terrible limitation for them. They can't do anything that the, that the Holy Spirit doesn't let them do. They've been judged already by God, so they've already lost the battle. And they will again be judged in the future. Revelation 20.10 So their limitations mean that Christians can safely trust God and the truth of Scripture. Isn't it wonderful that God has put you in a situation where you have a book and you can read the book and it gives you all of the truth that you need in order to defend yourself in this world? Isn't that a wonderful reality? Evil is limited not only by God's power, but by his character and purposes. So it is always confined. It's never out of control. It's never spectacularly terrifying in this world. It always comes as gentle hints that make you feel afraid. But how is, how is that fear dissipated? The fear is dissipated by looking at God again and again and again and say, yes, there's an evil spirit in the room with me, but thank God, God is in the room with me as well. What a wonderful reality. God is always there, closer to you than any evil spirit ever could be. Because if you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, where a spirit cannot even dwell. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the only clear teaching on how Christians face evil powers is Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 20. There, holding fast to the basic biblical truth, trusting God, depending on Him in prayer, and doing what God says is right, are always the most powerful means. Christians can resist Satan. If any other kids are still awake, I'm saying their word again, okay? Resist. Resist. Yeah, I just said it twice. James 4 verse 7. So in conclusion, the Bible encourages us as we talk about evil spirits. This is not to be frightening, it's to encourage. They are powerful and they have caused damage throughout the world and history. They fell with Satan and will finally be destroyed by God. They cannot marry people or living Christians. Christ's atonement destroys their evil attempts. They cannot read your mind or know the future. Their final target is God, His truth, and His people. They cannot damage God's purposes because they are limited by God's character and purposes. Christians who are living a faithful Christian life are best protected from Satan and his demons. And maybe we just finish with this one statement. If you are determined to be obsessed with the spirit world, be obsessed with God Himself.
If you are obsessed with the spirit world, be obsessed with God himself. Lord, thank you that today as we look at this topic, hardly an expository sermon, but Lord, a, a topical text, topical sermon. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be encouraged to look at you again, at your power, at your character and your purposes. Lord, as believers in the Lord Jesus, those who know you and who have been saved by your grace, Lord, we just pray that you would be pleased to give each one of us confidence in knowing that we look straight and directly at God himself. Yes, there may be times when evil spirits terrify us. Yes, there may may be times when we see evil spirits wreaking havoc in the world and bringing damage in relationships, even between Christians. But Lord, we pray that you would help us, even in the face of that, just to look straight at God. Look straight at God. Look straight at God again and again. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust in your power, trust in your character, and trust in your purposes. We just pray these things in Jesus' lovely name.